All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am giving you my rapid reaction to the Falcons' 22-19 loss of the Dallas Cowboys in Week 11. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years at FalcFans.com, on Twitter, at FalcFans. And, of course, I am the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast. Today, I am giving you my initial thoughts, takeaways, whatever you want to call them, from the Falcons' Week 11 loss of the Dallas Cowboys, a disappointing loss, 22-19. to They had a chance to sort of steal this victory from the Cowboys at the end, but certain things once again reared their ugly head. We'll talk about some of those things uh, later in the episode. I would sit here and say, I'm, you know, even though we're probably looking at the Falcons season potentially being over, or at least their playoff chances potentially being pretty much done, although technically not mathematically eliminated, at a four and six record, um, this was a game that I'm not too broken up over if only due to the fact that it seemed pretty apparent to me early on in this game that the Falcons just didn't have it uh, today. And and that's, you know, obviously disappointing and frustrating coming off of a week where they didn't have it against the Cleveland Browns um, in a very winnable game. Two weeks in a row to, to come out as flat as they did is, is definitely disheartening. We'll sort of see what the Falcons do over these next six weeks. Uh, you know, even if they lose next week against the Saints, uh, on Thursday night, that'll basically be my takeaway will be the same, similar to that. Like, it's just, you know, we will know how this team, how strongly this team finishes the season after we know how strongly this team finishes the season. So hopefully they can sort of, you know, put a button on this 2018 season that they can sort of carry over into 2019. We saw a similar dynamic uh, back in 1997 with the Falcons starting that season like one and five, and then I think finishing uh, like six and two or something uh, to finish with a seven and nine record, and then we saw them go to the Super Bowl in 1998 with a 14 and two record. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's still reasons to be hopeful. I wouldn't necessarily say optimistic, but uh, we'll see what the Falcons can do the rest of this year and, and whether whether or not that carries over into next season if they can sort of gain some momentum and gain some confidence and, you know, figure out some things about their team that they can sort of utilize to much greater success next season. So uh, let's jump right into sort of my initial thoughts and we'll talk about Dan Quinn's decision-making to start off the show before we jump in to my thoughts about the offense and defense. I certainly think it's fair to question some of Dan Quinn's coaching decisions today. It's funny to me only due to the timing that SB Nation put out a video yesterday uh, that Dan Quinn's infamous decision to kick the field goal at the end of the 49ers game back in 2015, they labeled it as the worst coaching decision ever uh, in that video. So, you know, to have Dan Quinn, maybe he watched the video and got too much inside his own head. But I think for the most part, most of his decisions were defensible. I know some people were questioning the decision for the team not to kick the field goal at the start of the second quarter, which would have been a 54-yarder. But listening to Dan Quinn talk in his press conference after the game, he basically said his explanation was that they had figured out due to, you know, earlier, um, prior to the game, that Bryant's 
max range, at least where they were comfortable with, was around that point. Um, I, he didn't give a, a necessarily a clear answer, but it was a strong suggestion that like anything uh, beyond the 36-yard line would have been questionable for them. They did wind up attempting a, a 53-yarder later at the outset of the third quarter uh, from the 36, which was a 53-yarder. That decision to punt was at the 37, so that yard difference seems negligible to folks. But I think you got to factor in that probably as the game wore on, given the score at that point in the third quarter, they were a little bit more confident. Maybe that Matt Bryant was a little bit more warmed up after having kicked a couple of field goals earlier in the game, as well as the fact that given the need to try to go out there and get some points on the board rather than punting again, uh, made him a little bit more willing to risk it. Uh, uh, with Matt Bryan's legs. So I think that decision is defensible. You know, the decision not to go for the touchdown when they were at the three-yard line with eight and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, I think is 100% defensible. I think you got to get points in that situation uh, down 10 points um, and getting three points there, you know, obviously is not as good as getting seven points there, but you got to get points in that situation. So that's defensible in my eyes. I think the one decision that you can seriously raise questions about, I think, is Dan Quinn's decision to call the timeout before the third down with a one minute and 38 seconds left to go in the game. I got why he made that decision. I don't necessarily agree with it. You know, you're you're hoping that you get to stop on third and five and you're trying to maximize the amount of time your offense has to go down the field and score. I think, you know, hindsight's being 20-20, but I think foresight being at least 20-30 in this instance you probably want to hold off on using that timeout until after you get the third down stop because if you call the timeout and you don't get the stop on third down, you've just saved the Cowboys 30 more seconds for them to go down the field and get the game-winning kick, which is kind of what wound up happening. And so, you know, I, I think his decision, I understand the reasoning behind his decision, but I, don't, I think it's a very questionable decision. That being said, I'm not going to necessarily kill Dan Quinn to, in the same way that other people might, you know, I think game management in general is one of those things that fans have a tendency to make a much bigger ado about than they probably should. Um, I think every NFL coach makes these sort of game management decision or uh, mistakes every now and then. Uh, you can certainly make the case that Dan Quinn has had more than, say, your average NFL coach or, or more than, say, the other so-called, you know, upper tier elite NFL head coaches. That's a fair statement. Um, you know, I'd be curious to see the data, whether that's true or not. Um, you know, and I don't think anybody really tracks it. So, you know, that's an opinion that probably will go unchallenged, but I won't necessarily challenge that opinion. Um, but I, I do think generally speaking, the whole notion of being a poor game manager tends to get overrated a little bit. You know, these issues do tend to crop up, you know, a couple of times a year with Dan Quinn since he's been here. Uh, nothing nearly to the degree of that 49er game, uh, as I mentioned earlier. But, um, you know, every now and then he'll have a questionable decision to call a timeout here or kick here or punt here or go for it here. Uh, for the most part, I, I generally am very forgiving of him in most of those instances, again, because I think, you know, sometimes you, you go with your gut and it may not be the most, um, you know, analytical logical uh decision in the moment but i can i can defend it for the most part um and i think you know for me it's like again a couple of times a year these issues crop up but to me the issues that crop up you know 10 to 12 times a year 
are, you know, not having a pass rush or six to eight times a year, not being able to run the football like that to me is a much bigger deal than maybe the one or two games where you could really call Dan Quinn's game management decisions into question that may or may not have potentially cost them in a major way. So that's how I sort of balance it. And that's how I sort of view it. So I get people being critical of it, but at the same time, I'm not going to be like, Oh, Dan Quinn cost us this game. You know, the fact that the Falcons struggled to score and couldn't get stops at the end of the game, I think cost them the game more so than Dan Quinn's decision-making, but certainly you can argue that timeout decision may have contributed to the defensive downfall at the end of the game uh, more so than uh, alleviated those issues. But we'll talk about, those uh, issues in just a moment. Uh, But I do want to let you guys know that even though the Falcons 2018 season is potentially over, your fantasy football season is not, and you guys should stay locked on your fantasy football with two fantasy football related podcasts on the Lockdown Podcast Network. The first one being Locked on Fantasy Football 24-7. The other one being Locked on Fantasy Football hosted by Vinny Iyer. Fantasy Football 24-7 gives you the latest updates and injury news from around the league to help you win each and every week. And Fantasy Football with Vinny Iyer is locked on a different fantasy expert every day from around the fantasy world. Get them both wherever you get your locked on podcasts, your team every day. Now, clearly, I am not an expert when it comes to picking who is going to win these games. I picked the Falcons to win in each of the last two weeks, and they have sorely made me look bad. But I'm sure some of you guys out there listening were pretty convinced that the Falcons may not have had quite the success that they could have had. Or maybe you didn't think that, but going forward, you feel a certain type of way about the Falcons' success. And why don't you try to take advantage of that uh, feeling by checking out my bookie? Because if you know who's going to win each week, that's the place to go. If you have those answers, remember who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. And that's why I always tell people to go to my bookie. Trust me, they're the best bet you'll make this season. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online. Their mobile site is very easy to use. There's in-game, live betting, over-under, on fantasy points scored, and certainly the most rewarding player perks in the business. My bookie has recently been slammed with new bettors and wants to help you guys out by giving you an extra $25 free play. If you deposit $100 or more after 7 p.m. Eastern Time, use the promo code LOCKEDON25 to activate that offer. Go ahead, visit MyBookie today. If you haven't signed up already, go to M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to get a 100% dollar-for-dollar match on your deposit. And if you want to deposit $100 or more after 7 p.m., use the promo code LOCKEDON25 to get an extra $25 free play. So you guys definitely want to take advantage of those two offers. Remember, you play, you win, you get paid. So let's talk about the offensive performance and the offensive letdown. I I think, you know, as I've said a number of times on this podcast this season, It's been very clear to me when the Falcons get off to a slow start. Offensively, they're going to really struggle to win these games in large part due to question marks about their defense and their ability to sort of, you know, keep the dam from breaking. And we'll talk about that later. But, uh, you know, I think the Falcons settling for field goals in this game 
only had one red zone trip in this game, uh, which, you know, was on that fourth quarter trip uh, that I mentioned earlier where Dan Quinn settled for the field goal instead of going for the touchdown. Um, It wasn't as if the Falcons didn't have success moving the football down the field. Uh, I think with the exception of one drive where Matt Ryan threw an interception thanks to the ball deflecting off of Calvin Ridley's hands into the waiting arms of Leighton Vander Esch, um, the Falcons were able to move the ball into Cowboys territory on every possession they had today. Um, but it seemed like every time they crossed the Cowboys 40 yard line or the 30 yard line, all their, their their drives always just stalled, um, to a halt. Um, it seemed like pressure was the main issue, particularly in the first half. We saw Demarcus Lawrence had a couple of, you know, drive killing sacks on third down, beating Ryan Schrader. We saw pressure from guys like Crawford and Vander Esch as well on, on the two drives where the Falcons settled for field goals sort of getting uh, pressure on Matt Ryan and causing some errant throws by him on those third downs. Um, You know, they started their opening drive in the third quarter. Ryan underthrew Julio on on a deep pass that led to the long 53-yard field goal that I mentioned earlier. Then, of course, the next offensive series, they had the interception, um, and the Cowboys were able to convert that into seven points, and they got the ball down to the 10 yard line on the next on the ensuing series. And, and again, Vander Esch, you know, already beginning his great career as a Falcon killer. It seems like the Falcons are poised to play the Cowboys again in 2019, if, if I'm not mistaken, based off of the current standing. So we get to see him again very soon um, as an aside, but Vander Esch broke up that pass to Hooper on, on third and two. And so the Falcons settled for three. Then Matt Ryan actually hit the deep ball on to Julio on the next drive. And, and Julio, uh, you know, made an excellent catch, a great contested catch. Um, so, you know, they had some opportunities in this game offensively. They had some big play opportunities. Julio uh, had that, that deep pass that was underthrown. He had a drop on the opening series. You had the interception off the deflection from Ridley. You had a, you know, a, a, what was it, a reverse to Marvin Hall that seemed like it was poised to get big gain and, and Vander Esch again beat Jake Matthews and and Hall sort of made a last second decision that wasn't great um, to try to avoid Vander Esch and he wound up making a tackle. So again, Leighton Vander Esch, who could have been a Falcon, you know, one wonders in the alternate world where the Cowboys take Calvin Ridley and then maybe the Falcons take Leighton Vander Esch, who knows. Um, anyway, so, you know, looking at the rest of the offense, you know, the running game got going a lot better in the second half. Coleman did have a good game, but only had eight carries, eight carries for 58 yards. He had a success rate of 75%. I think he was like um, four for five in the second half. You know, on that note, what's interesting to me, the interesting development has been sort of how somewhat one-dimensional the Falcons have been in, in certain ways these last couple of games, and particularly today. You know, if you look at the first three series, they had a run pass balance of nine runs to 14 passes, which, you know, is about 60 percent passing, which is normal. Um, But it's notable to me because three of those runs were to wide receivers. You had the 12 gauge play from Sanu. You had the reverse to Hall. You had a a pitch to Ridley. Um, So you only really had six called runs to the running backs on uh, 25 plays, which is certainly not necessarily balanced. Um, You know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, that's bad game planning. That's bad play calling by Sark. 
Uh, I think it's a, certainly an interesting and noteworthy wrinkle that the Falcons are doing and certainly worth looking further at. Um, I, you know, I would argue that if you had more of a Taylor Gabriel, a more explosive guy with the ball in his hands, that sort of play calling and, and, and sort of usage of your personnel probably would reap better benefits. So that may be something I think the Falcons can look into uh, this offseason if that's going to be something that they continue to look at. Um, I think what's also interesting is the last two weeks we've seen Ricky Ortiz, their fullback, be a healthy scratch. A week ago, I speculated on the rapid reaction that I assumed that Ricky Ortiz was deactivated because there was some injury that came up over the weekend that, uh, you know, on Saturday or, or Sunday morning or whatever. But, you know, basically going the, this past week without him being on the injury report, uh, one can only conclude that he was a healthy scratch last week as he was this week. Um, so, you know, it's it's weird for the Falcons to scrap their 21 personnel, which is the two running back formation, which is basically them using a fullback. Um, you know, and I haven't necessarily charted their performance in their personnel groupings the last couple of games. Uh, just life has prevented me from making that the normal priority I do Monday mornings uh, since week five, since the Steeler game. Um, but looking at the, the metrics at sharpfootballstats.com, the numbers don't really paint a portrait that suggests that there's a, you know, an on-field reason why the Falcons have basically scrapped their 21 personnel. I know their passing success out of 21 hasn't been great this year, and they haven't necessarily been a dominant running team running out of that formation either. Um, but it's not as if their other personnel groupings have been, you know, firing on all cylinders to the point where you would be like, oh, this is clearly a, a major weakness of this offense, and they should just not have a fullback active on game day at all. Um, and again, I, I don't necessarily bring those up to say like, that's the reason why the Falcons offense has struggled, but you know, on this locked on fullbacks podcast, we're always going to make the connection between the Falcons offensive success and the play of their fullback. And I don't, you know, it's, you know, I'm only saying this slightly tongue in cheek, um, but it's, it's, it's kind of weird that the offense is sort of basically falling off of a cliff when they got rid of the fullback in the offense. So, you know, we'll see what the Falcons are doing. Like, I I think there's justification for them sort of trying to embrace the three wide receiver offense, um, in particular with, um, you know, the emergence of Calvin Ridley and whatnot. And that's sort of, you know, maybe they're trying to do what Sean McVay is doing and be this primarily three wide receiver two tight end offense, you know, the Rams are 95% three wide receiver, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, that, you know, they were, that's what they were last year, which, you know, sprinkle in some two tight ends in there. So uh, I won't go as far to say like the lack of diversity is sort of what is causing the offensive downturn these last couple of weeks. But the fact that they're basically running their entire offense, or at least 90% of their offense out of, you know, three wide receivers and, and two tight ends, doesn't seem to be reaping the positive benefits that you would hope. So again, I'm, I'm not saying that the, the the connection is there, but it is something that I certainly think is worth monitoring uh, in the future if the Falcons continue to do this. So we'll see. Um, there's more to come on this podcast, including my thoughts on how the Falcons defense performed this past Sunday. But uh, since we're talking about seasons being over, maybe it's time for you guys to turn your attention to the 2019 draft. And of course, the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered with two draft-related podcasts, including 
the Locked On NFL Draft podcast hosted by John Ledyard and Trevor Sikama, as well as the Draft Dudes podcast hosted by Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino. You can find both of those podcasts wherever you get your Locked On podcast. You should also check out the draftnetwork.com where you can find the written content from all four of those guys and many, many other folks. Again, that's thedraftnetwork.com, your team every day. So let's talk defense. Um, now, I certainly think if we're going to do the quote-unquote blame game and, and look at one side of the ball as primarily culpable for the Falcons losing today, I think the offense deserves the majority of the blame. But regular listeners know that I'm not necessarily a big believer in playing that blame game. And even if I did, you certainly know I will never, ever avoid an opportunity to heap the maximum amount of criticism on this Falcon team by blaming both sides of the ball whenever I get the opportunity. So, I look, I think the offense certainly was more to blame, um, but I certainly think the defense was certainly culpable in losing today. Um, you know, they held up pretty well against a struggling Cowboys offense for two and a half quarters, uh, allowing just six points in that span. But then you had that eight-minute touchdown drive at the end of the third quarter. Then they gave up a touchdown after the interception, which I don't necessarily blame the defense because, you know, short field, that's pretty much guaranteed seven points given this season. Um, Then they got a stop when the Falcons tied up the game at 19. But then in the final two minutes, Dallas went down the field with relative ease and uh, put up that game-winning field goal in the final two minutes uh, with, you know, time running out. They get the walk-off win. So I think the the clear conclusion is that the defense ran out of gas after halftime. And, you know, again, I'm not going to say that the defense cost us this game. I think that's a lazy narrative. But they certainly were culpable. And I think, you know, were we would we have been foolish to think that this defense, given how they played this season, would hold up for more than two and a half quarters? Yeah, we would have been foolish if we thought more of that. But basically, they confirmed what we've known already about them, which is you might be able to get two good quarters out of this defense at best. After that point, it's really on the offense to take it, you know, take care of business. And the offense clearly couldn't do that. And, and we saw a similar issue last week against Cleveland, I think. So, um, you know, I think there certainly will be a lot of people second-guessing the decision to deactivate Deion Jones, especially in light of the fact that Zeke Elliott had 200 in one total yards, if my math is correct, uh, on, of offense against the Falcons. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can necessarily be like, that's all on Dan Quinn, and uh, that's another poor coaching decision. I think, obviously, the medical staff has something to do with that. I think it, the, Dan Quinn had been clear for the last two weeks that there were some milestones that they were looking for Deion Jones to reach this week in order for him to play. I think it's pretty clear uh, that he didn't reach those milestones, and so they held him out. So again, I, I can't necessarily get too, you know, broken up that that was the case. Obviously, it probably would have made a difference, but um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it was nice to see Vic Beasley actually, you know, show up. Uh, he had two sacks today. One of which was only only one of which was a cleanup sack. We saw Grady Jarrett get a couple of hits on the quarterback. It was nice seeing the pass rush show up from time to time. I actually noticed them, so I can't necessarily look at the pass rush and be like, oh, they didn't do anything. Today, obviously, you, you want a little bit more, obviously, particularly at the end of the game, but it is what it is. You know, I know other people are going to be like, Aaron, what what about your boys? You've been defending Trufon and Alford for the last couple of weeks. You know, what what you got to say now? And I'm like, 
I got to say the same thing I've been saying now for the last couple of weeks. I think it was very obvious that Trufant had a nice bounce back game. I don't think you can necessarily make a case that he struggled in this game. Certainly, you can say Alfred got beat a couple of times. It was, you know, basically three times that he got beat. But again, I can't help but notice, you know, comeback and in covering T- Cole Beasley on a, a a crosser and then on a little whip route. That those are the types of routes that you know, if you have a healthy ankle, your ability to cut and, and play with burst probably would be beneficial on defending those types of routes. Um, so, you know, again, I look at Alford's quote-unquote downturn in production. You know, it, cu- it started with against a game against Pittsburgh, you know, where he's covering Antonio Brown. It follows up with a game against the Buccaneers receivers, which we know they have arguably the best wide receiver duo in the league. If, if not number one, it's in the top five um, with Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson. I know Chris Godwin did some things against Alford in that game as well. But, you know, Chris Godwin, I think, is an, a very underrated number three wide receiver. I would argue he's probably the best number three wide receiver in, in the division, uh, if you ask me. And and that's including, no, not over Ridley. That's over, you know, a certain other wide receiver who who did, I, I will give him his credit, made some big catches today. Uh, you know, only had four catches. But, you know, quanti- quality over quantity, I guess, is the name for that guy in particular this week. But uh, that being said, Again, I think Alford, you know, I, I think my the thing I said going into this game uh, was that we would learn, you know, just how far these cornerbacks have fallen um, against this Dallas Cowboy group. And I, my personal takeaway, and I, I'm sure plenty of you guys out there will disagree with this, but I, I don't think the fall off has been huge. Again, I think any fall off from Alford is related to, you know, the or at least the last couple of games has been related mostly to his in, his ankle injury and not being 100%. Now, I'm sure there are people out there who be like, well, if the ankle is such a big issue, why not put Isaiah Oliver out there? And it's like, well, again, without going too deep into this, but I think, you know, Oliver has made some nice plays, but I think, I think you're missing a lot if you don't think there are some major, major issues that, Alford, that Oliver has um, with sort of his uh, awareness and his, his, his ability to get the mental stuff down um, right now. He's he's just not as reliable as I think people are, are billing him out to be. And again, I think that's related to, you know, people wanting to see the downfall of Robert Alford. So I think they're overhyping Al- Oliver a little bit and obviously underrating Alford. And you don't necessarily have to play one coverage if uh, Alford's on the field, as as you probably would if, if Oliver was. So, um, but we'll, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. Um, so, you know, I, I think... You know, I think the coverage on the outside was fine today. I think, you know, the Falcons' inability to stop the run and cover over the middle of the field was their most glaring issue this past weekend. Um, and obviously, you know, if Deion Jones is in the lineup, you you hope and you think that that's not going to be as big an issue as it was against Dallas. So we'll see if he can come back and, and, and prove that hope uh, against New Orleans on a short week. So we'll see. We'll wrap things up here by, you know, unofficially declaring the Falcons season over mathematically, as I said, at the top of the show, it's not dead. You know, they could, it's, it's possible. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm not saying it's completely, you know, like a, a one in a million shot, but it's still possible that they could rattle off six games in a six wins in a row. I don't think it's, you know, and the reason why I, for one, am not necessarily as willing to declare their season 
dead is because I made that mistake in previous years. As well as I think most of us agree that this team has the talent to beat all six of their opponents left, um, including New Orleans next week. So, again, that's what part of the reason why it's like if they can just get their offense on track and if Deion Jones can provide that boost to the defense to the point where they're not going to necessarily blow a lead in the final two minutes of these games, then I think it's possible for them to win six in a row or at least five of the next six and, and at least be in a position going into that week 17 finale against Tampa Bay where, you know, they could be in the hunt for a wild card spot if they get, you know, certain mathematical help from other teams with the tiebreakers and whatnot. So um, I'm not going to necessarily buy into that their season is still alive. I just want to point that out um, just because it's not necessarily one of those things where I can be like, oh, you know, now they lose against New Orleans, which I think, at least for me, since the schedule came out, I sort of penciled in as a loss back in April, and nothing that has happened in the in the last seven months has made me believe that that game is likely to be a win. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, right now, probably the, the best case scenario is they play spoiler for some of these other teams in the NFC that are in the playoff hunt. Obviously, New Orleans, Carolina, Green Bay, Baltimore, obviously in the AFC. But all those teams are sort of in the playoff hunt right now. And if the Falcons can rattle off a couple of wins against those four opponents, in addition to not blowing it against the Cardinals and Buccaneers, there is some positives that can be gleaned from this season. Um, Not necessarily, you know, the positives I think we all hoped and wanted to have going into the season and, and certainly coming out of their bye week. Yeah, I mean, tough, tough one for the Falcons. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of a, a a way to spin it in a positive. I, I can't think of one. So, you know, rage against the machine. If, if that's what you're, you know, what you need to do in order to process this season, um, do whatever you got to do. But it is what it is. Sometimes you need, to, you know. You need some wake-up calls. And and one of the things I've said earlier was that I think, not to say that this season is a positive for the Falcons, but I do think this season long-term could help them out more than necessarily going, you know, 10-6 and six and losing in the second round of the playoffs might because I think they have some opportunities this offseason to, to really look at themselves hard in the mirror and be like, okay, these are some major issues that – We've sort of been taking for granted these last couple of years due to our success, which I think sort of was the doom of the Mike Smith regime because the fact that they kept, you know, winning 10 to 12 games every year um, sort of made them think that they were better than they actually were. So we'll see if the Falcons under Quinn and, and now, you know, continue with Dimitrov and whether he's learned his lessons from those previous times, whether they've learned those lessons and will be able to enact a change, particularly on the offensive and defensive lines that I think we're all been clamoring for. And many of us were clamoring for this off season and we didn't see. Um, so, you know, again, I think if they do do that and they do get the help that they need on both sides of the ball in the trenches, then I, I do think, you know, it could help long-term again, you know, one imagines if they're picking, you know, 14th or whatever they are, instead of 24th, 
you have an opportunity to help yourselves out in that regard in, in terms of fixing some of those issues more than you would, you know, picking 24th. So again, that's, that's the best I can spin it guys. Um, you know, I'm always trying to, you know, I'm, I'm that weird dude that's always looking for negatives after wins and positives after losses <laughs> just to keep things balanced. Um, so we'll be back uh, tomorrow to get more thoughts on this game and as well as looking ahead to the New Orleans game. We'll also be doing our crossover episode on Wednesday. There will be no Thanksgiving show um, unless something happens early this week that is deserving of me spending some time talking about it. But I'm probably just going to take, you know, that day off and you'll just have to wait till Friday to get my rapid reaction. Um, You know, don't mind my um, relatives in the background (laughs) Uh, with that. And then we'll we'll do we'll put something up over the weekend, or if not, then we'll just be back on Monday with some more content, given the extra days off. So um, we'll play it by ear a little bit, guys, this week, just because of the the week being off. But certainly, if you guys, we'll, we'll certainly have an opportunity to do some Q and A's this weekend. So if you guys send in questions, that will be something that we can definitely do. And of course, you can do so by hitting me up on Twitter. I'm at Falcfans. But you might as well just send it to the show's Twitter handle that's Locked On Falcons, as well as the Facebook page, Locked On Falcons. Uh, the email address is lockedonfalcons at mail.com. And I told you guys, because I didn't answer any of the email questions on last week's QA, that I will prioritize those. So if you send them to email, you will definitely get your question uh, answered on the next QA um, coming up. And of course, you can leave a comment at falcfans.com where the podcast is posted daily. So again, that email address is lockedonfalcons at mail.com. So. Guys, you know, enjoy your week. Try not to get in too many fights with family members at Thanksgiving because I know, I know for many of you, these this week is like the worst week of the year given some of y'all's family. It's it's never been that bad for me. Um, I, I, I do enjoy my family, but I, I certainly can only take them for one week a year. So uh, <laughs> try to try to get the, you know, Try to get through this. I, I hope I hope for some of you guys that, you know, unfortunately the Falcons can't necessarily bring that joy in your life. So I'm hoping that you can find other things that can bring joy this week. So until then. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.